Are you ready to create real lasting change in your life? Whether you're looking to make a massive breakthrough in your business, your relationship, your career, your health, or anything else in your personal life, Unleash the Power Within can help you unlock and unleash the forces inside of you and let you create the quality of life you desire and deserve. Learn more about UPW and how you can surpass your own limitations to achieve every goal you've ever wanted by visiting www.tonyrobbins.com unleashed. When you're looking through the lens of depression, how do you see the world? How do you react to those around you? And how do you handle obstacles that come your way? What about when you're in a state of peace? How do you act? How do you react? Do you sweat the small stuff or do you just shake it off? Does adversity rattle you or are you able to approach challenges with confidence and ease? The fact is that you will have a very different experience in life when you are in a peaceful state rather than in a state of suffering. Your thoughts, actions, reactions, these stem directly from where you find yourself mentally and emotionally. This is why Tony says that the most important decision you will ever make is to live in a beautiful state, even when life doesn't go your way. Because ultimately, our lives are not shaped by our conditions. Our lives are shaped by our decisions, and you must decide where to direct your focus. An undirected mind operates naturally in survival mode, constantly identifying and magnifying potential threats to your well-being but the result is a life filled with stress and anxiety. In this episode, you're going to learn how most people make unconscious decisions based on habit and conditioning. You'll see how most people believe that suffering is an inevitable part of life. Frustration, stress, sadness, loneliness. Yes, these are all emotions we may all encounter, but Tony shows us that we all have the power to step out of these suffering states and cultivate a life of love, joy, gratitude, playfulness, growth, and appreciation, because life is too short to be mired in suffering. Make the decision to master your mind, choose a beautiful state, and start living the life you were meant to. So if I asked you, if I came to you and I said, what is life about? You would say? Love. Love, and what has to happen for you to have love? I have to be someone, Mike Runner, please. I have to be someone, I have to. Who you have to be? Same thing, I, ha- I feel like I have to be perfect. Yes. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm, I just want you to know her sister was right across from her. I saw her eyes, and you could just see her processing the same things. You have to be perfect in what way? Um, I feel like I have to, I have negative self-talk, and I feel that I'm always trying to please everybody. How well people does it work? People that I know, people that I don't know. People you know and even people you don't know you yeah, know, please. people that I know and people that I don't know. How well is that working? Oh, it's awful. I'm, I'm, um, I, I don't even know what people are thinking, so how can I even please them? But you're constantly wondering what they're thinking, aren't exactly. you? Exactly. Yes. Are you wondering what he's thinking? I don't think he's thinking right now. You don't now. think he's thinking? <laughs> no, um, no, but I'm, I'm constantly thinking about what other people are thinking. And, but, but, um, Say again? I'm, I'm constantly wondering, you know, what people are thinking. And I'm wondering if they're, and they don't even know me. I don't know them. I don't know if they're thinking if I'm 
ugly, if I'm, you know, anything. So I don't, and I'm always thinking, how can I adjust myself in order to please them? But how can I please them when they're, I don't even know what they're thinking and they're not thinking anything about me. And what if you aren't even that significant to them, they don't even notice you? That, yeah, that's what I am. <laughs> and I, I have to, you know, remind, when I go to, you know, local Starbucks that nobody knows me, but it's all that negative self-talk that I feel like it's on my own, uh, you know, perceptions. Whose love did you I, crave? My mom. And who did you have to be for your mom? I had to be perfect. I, I mean, I, I had, I mean, I had to be perfect. Exactly what. Yeah. And what did perfect look like for your mom? Um, I couldn't really show my emotions. I, um, you're female and you're not going to show your emotions. That'll work really well. Okay. I, I'll just give you an example. When I want to post something on Facebook, my mom will reach out to me and say, you need to take that down. It's, it's too How old political. Are you? I'm, I'm 29. I see. So your mom is still monitoring your Facebook entries. She's, she's still monitoring my Facebook. Both these moms, mothers right now, listen to me. Fathers, listen to me. Out of your desire to have those you love have a better life than you, you often give them ideals. What is an ideal? It's different than a standard. Standards, you have a high standard, you call yourself to a standard. An ideal is someone else gives it to you and you link life and death to it. If you don't do it, you don't feel like you're enough. Ideals use you. You're not using the ideal. Many of us would die for ideals because we were taught them by other people at such an early age that we think this is what we believe because we do believe it. It's just not true. And one of the things we got to uncover to let go, to actually truly have freedom, we have to uncover what's making us suffer. Both of these women are suffering. How many see it? If you do, say I. And it's so easy to see in them, isn't it? Who else would never use such a horrible word such as suffering, but you consistently feel frustration that you aren't yet where you should be in your life? in your relationship or your business or your career or your economics or your body, or you fear you'll never get there no matter how hard you work, or you worry, or you feel alone, or you feel like it's all your responsibility, those are all forms of suffering. How many know what I'm talking about here? How many feel these feelings regularly? Let me see it your hands. Today, we want to end this. Who's up for ending suffering today? Say I, say I. Say I. Then the first step we've got to make is we've got to take the invisible and make it visible so we can see its insanity. The first step is awareness. We're going to look at the first step, and we're not going to run the second, third, and fourth because we've got to get what the consequences are, what the impact is. Because most of us know it intellectually, but we've never brought it to a point where our brain says no more. Who here has had something in your life where you kept trying to change it, kept trying to change it, and you fell back and pissed at yourself about not following through, and you said you're going to do it again, and you got your energy up, and then you didn't do it again, and you were so mad until one day your brain went, not another day, not another hour, not another moment. This is changing now, and you changed it. Who's done this before? Say I. Say I. Who here has ever stayed in a relationship way too long? Say I. How many of you knew it was the wrong relationship and you were still there? Let me see your hands. Say I. 
Why the f did you stay? An ideal. I'm not a quitter. I'm not a loser. I'm not going to be one of those. I'm not going to go through a divorce. You gave more value to the ideal. You gave more value to the ship than the relations, to the institution than the people. Your fear. What if I'm alone? What if alone's worse than being with this asshole? Or maybe it's all me. You questioned everything enough until you did nothing. How many, though, hit a day where you went, not another an hour, not another day, this is in, and you, you made the change in that relationship? Who's done this before? Say, ah! ah! This week is about decisions. The only thing that changes your life is decisions. It's not our conditions, it's our decisions. And the problem is many of us have been living with suffering and we would never call it because we're achievers. And because we think of suffering as some weak person. We think of suffering as somebody who gives up. Suffering is living any state that's not beautiful states regularly in your life. In order to do it, we gotta get rid of the rule that makes us suffer because listen to me now. Suffering is not in the fact. It's in your perception of the fact. Suffering is not in the fact. It's your perception of the fact. If you said to me, I'm crying, I'm suffering because my mother died, I certainly have compassion for you, but what you said is not true. You're not suffering because your mother died. You're suffering because you think she shouldn't have. You're suffering because the meaning is you think you can never be with her again. You can never communicate with her. Are there people that lost a loved one and they're really in a great, beautiful state, yes or no? They think they're in a better place. They have a different meaning. They think that was God's choice. You can't keep somebody here longer than they're supposed to be. They think their spirit is still with me. They have a different meaning. It's not the fact that makes you suffer. It's your perception of the fact. It's the meaning. It's not they died. It's you think they shouldn't have. Or you should have done something that you didn't do. And if you and I are going to have the most extraordinary life, if you got a billion dollars and all day long the place you live emotionally is frustrated, pissed off, and worried, then what's the quality of your life? Frustrated, pissed off, and worried. Billion dollars doesn't mean If you have three beautiful children that worship you and a husband or wife that adores you, but your life is all about being overwhelmed and guilty, Quality of life is overwhelmed and guilty. Everyone in this room has an emotional home, a place you get back to no matter what. It doesn't matter if your life is good or bad, it's a place you know. How many of you have seen people in America who live in places like where every year a storm comes by and wipes out their house and you think, dumb mother move! Come on, who's ever had this thought? Come on, say it, say I! It's so easy when it's someone else's location. You go, why the f do they keep going back to the same place? And they argue, but it's my home. It's a f piece of land, f move. Why are you surprised when another f hurricane takes it the f out? And we all see that as kind of not so smart. But the more powerful home is not your address, it's your emotional home. You're at home feeling uncomfortable in yourself even though you don't like it, it's what you know. 
You're at home constantly judging yourself. You find a way to get there, even if there's no stimulus in the environment. And we can blame our parents, but all our parents were amateurs. They did the best they could. Most of them had an amateur parent. And they had amateur parents. And no one, no one teaches us how to live because it wasn't that long ago that most people were trying to survive. Today, we have this incredible ability that we can come here for six days, even if it's incredibly hard, even if it's incredibly expensive for your time and your energy and travel, to have six days to work on you is a pretty amazing privilege, isn't it? What's life about? Uh, growth. Um, life's about showing up every day to try and be better than you were yesterday, uh, exploring, adventure, friends, being a father. Great. Tell me, why did you come to this program? Um, it's my second one. Mm. Um, uh, repetition. Yes. <laughs> What'd you get out of the first one? Um, I got like amazing self-awareness. Yes. Um, the ability to uh, get out of my head or the tools yes. to help me get out of my head. It's yes. constant work. What do you want this time? Um, more of that. Mm -hmm. um, what do I want this time? More of that, um, more of, just more of the same. Just, you know, I've had a great progress over the last couple of years with all of this yes. stuff. And uh, I, I study and I read and I try and I practice and when I come here, I just feel like it's six days of singular focus and I just, it's a leap forward. So it's the next leap for whatever it is for you forward. Yeah. What does an extraordinary life look like for you? Um, it's connected to my wife, to my kids. Um, it's being in the moment. Yes. Uh, it, it, for many years, I was always thinking what I, where I need to go, where I need to, yes. to be and never here. Yes. Never connected there. Yes. So that's a big one for me. Success, awesome. obviously, in business, yes. next level, constantly thinking about that. So if you left in a beautiful state and you could create that every day, continuously, how would that affect your vision for your life, your kids, your relationship, yourself? Yeah, amazing. Take it to the next level. Good. And that's what we're going to do. Question. Whose love did you crave? My dad. And who did you have to be for your dad? I, I didn't have... I struggle with this every time we do this. Yes. Um, you know, I, I had to... I had to... I had to, you know, be good in sports. I didn't have to achieve that much. My mom was kind of neutral. So I've yes. always struggled with this one. I didn't really have that I'm, I'm still trying to discover. I understand. all helps me, but I, you know, I, I don't have You're a big your first driver. For my dad, I had to be. For my dad, I had to be good at sports. Good at sports, were yeah. you? Yeah. Good. For my dad, I had to be? Um, I, well, I don't know. Good, go. Just a good. Good. good kid. Not great, good kid. not great, not bad, just kind of there. And were you? Yeah. And are you good today? Yeah, I'm better today. That's good. <laughs> I find it easy just to show up and be good. You find it easy to do that? And I have to push myself to get to the next level. How many heard that? Raise your hand if you hear it. His father's model was not perfection. His father's model was good, and he finds himself easy to get to good because it's what he knows, hard to get to great because not what he knows. A different emotional home. Raise your hand if you see the variety here. Now, these two both have the same language, but it gets executed in a different way in their bodies as well. Where is your emotional home? I'll give you an example. On 9-11, I was in Hawaii. 
I was doing a 10-day program there called Certification. Anybody in the room who was there with me? Anybody was there? A couple people. And that night, I, we used to do this incredible opening. I hired the people from Cirque Soleil in Las Vegas, and we did this incredible magic piece and music, and people for a year waited to go to this program, and it would start with this explosion, and all of a sudden, I would just appear on the stage out of an explosion. And then all of a sudden, people come down in tubes, these women dancing, and then this crazy was happening, and then all of a sudden, I climb in this thing and went up to the ceiling, and then boom, a light would flash, and I'd disappear, and all of a sudden, it was very high ceilings, 50-foot high ceilings in this place, and I was at the back of the lights, go back at the back of the room, up on the top of the ceiling, and I'd come down on a rip wire across the top of the audience, and then explosions would go off, and then I'd reach into my chair and find these sticks, and I'd point to everybody, and they'd reach into the chair, and everybody had sticks, and we're cranking these sticks, explosions, energy, takes it to a peak. Right? And people are like going crazy. And then I just stood there and I had what I was going to say. And I didn't say what I was going to say. I said this. I waited until everyone was silent. And I said, living. When do people really start to live? I said, when they face death. And then I went off on a 10 minute riff about death that I'd never done, never intended, never even thought of. And I talked about if you were gonna die at the end of this week, who would you call? What truth would you tell? What emotion would you share? What would you say you were sorry for? Who would you tell you loved? How would you live if it was the last week of your life? How much energy would you put out? How hard would you dance? How high would you jump? How much would you laugh? How much would you take in the people around you? And the beauty of life. I went on and on and on on this. I said, at the end, I don't think you're going to die this week. But perhaps you should act as if you were. We went to bed that night. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, our time, the first towers hit. At 3 a.m., the towers came down. I'd just gone to sleep. My staff came to wake me up. And then all hell broke loose, because we had people in that room from 38 different countries. We were translating five or six languages. We had every religion, every background, every nation basically represented in that room. And it was total pandemonium. Some people were actually uncontrollably in agony, crying out of control. There were tons of people who had worked in the World Trade Center, and they would have been dead if they had been at work that day. They were at the seminar instead, but all their friends were there or family members. If you recall, you couldn't get on a plane and all communication was cut. So everyone's living in uncertainty. There were people that were celebrating it as a victory, and then other people that were fighting, trying to beat the hell out of each other. Because some were saying it's celebration and some were saying it was the end times. Some people were comforting others, some people were crying out of control, some people were angry, some people were celebrating. Every emotion you could imagine was in that environment. And no one wanted to come to class and everybody told me we we're gonna cancel class. I said, like, that. The day's theme was emotional mastery. I said, you had everybody in that room. And we got everybody in the room and I got up and I said, look, Every one of us in this room is having different emotions here. And by the way, the Australians, we had a ropes course, and every morning a different team would go out there. The Australians were doing the ropes course, and the Americans were going crazy how disrespectful they are, and out there cheering and chanting when 3,500 people just died in America. And their thing was, like this happens everywhere all over the world. Why should we feel like shit? And 
They had the hotel management out there and fights breaking out. So I brought everybody in and I said, this is what I want you to do. I said, I want you first of all to answer this question. When you heard this news, what did you focus on? Because there's three decisions that control your life. They're controlling it as I speak right now. They're gonna control them for the rest of your life. So if you take control of them, it can change everything. The first decision is what are you gonna focus on? When you heard the information, what did you focus on? What did you picture? What did you say to yourself? What did you feel? What did you experience? I said, my second question is, what did that mean to you? And third, what did you decide to do? And then I had people write it all down, and then I put them in groups. And the last minute I did something smart. I said, I want the groups to be mixed countries. Not all Americans, not all people from Singapore, China. Mix them up, and men and women. And then I went around the room, and I got the greatest education of my life. Because I went around the room, what emotions do you think I heard in that room? What emotions? Which emotions? Every emotion you could imagine. And people had it with such intensity. There was this one woman, she had this thick accent, and she was, I hate this, this is miserable, this is horrible. She, she was spitting because she was talking so intensely, and there's so much rage coming out of her. But her accent didn't sound like she'd been in the United States very long. So I said, how long have you lived in the United States? She said, I don't live in the United States. I said, oh, I said, well, do you have family here? She said, no. I said, do you have like friends in New York? She said, no. I said, so you're not from America, you know no one in America, you know anybody from New York? What are you so angry about? She goes, it's just wrong, it's wrong. And she went crazy. And I looked at her and I said, you're always angry, aren't you? And she went, no. <laughs> I'll never forget. She was unnerved by it. I said, come on, it's just you and me. You kind of like being angry. And she looked at me and said, I don't like being angry. I said, honestly, how often are you angry? Would it be fair to say you're angry every day? Maybe. I said, what is anger? And she looked at me for a moment. I'll never forget her face went up. She goes, it feels like jet fuel. <laughs> anger makes you feel certainty. Anger makes you feel significant. The two needs most people, unfortunately, have at the top of their list. And it doesn't take anything. You don't have to do anything good. You don't have to take any risks. All you have to do is get pissed. There was another woman in the same group who was feeling so unbelievably guilty. She said, I feel so guilty she's sharing the group. I pictured the blame blowing up. And then the next thing I focused on is it means I'm not there. There are people I could have helped as a nurse and I'm not there. I'm trapped on this island. People are gonna die because I'm not there. It's my fault. And she's beating herself up over and over and over again. And I said to her, I said, how often do you feel guilty? And she heard what I said to the other woman, and she said, I said, are you guilty every day? Yeah. You find somebody to be guilty about every day? As I went around the room, guess what I figured out? Everybody has an emotional home, and they use whatever happens in the environment to go there. Whether it's good or bad, they find a way. So perhaps it's time to move. Perhaps it's time, if your home is not what you want, if it's the ghetto emotionally, perhaps we should move. If it is really nice, perhaps it's time to upgrade. Why settle? And by the way, one woman raised her hand, I'll never forget, and she was, her face just looked drenched. She'd been crying for hours. And she shared, she said, I just want you to know that last night when you got up and talked about death, 
She said, I realized at the end that my boyfriend asked me to marry him and I told him no because my previous boyfriend was kidnapped and killed. I just wasn't ready. And he said, if you go to that seminar and you tell me no, it's over. And she said, I said to him, then it's over. If you're going to threaten me, I'm going anyway. And she goes, when you said, who would you call? Who do you love? What would you express? She said, I realized I need to call him. She said, but it was the middle of the night. So I called him, left a message at his office in New York at the top of the World Trade Center. And she said, I told him I love him and that I want to marry him and I can't wait to be back with him and please forgive me. And she starts bawling uncontrollably again. And she said, he called me back and I slept through the message. But I recorded here to share with you. And we got her microphone, she played it. And her fiance says, honey, I love you so much. And you can hear his voice cracking. He says, I can't tell you what it means to me to have you leave me this message. I'll never forget it, it's in my soul, but I have some bad news. And then his voice cracks again and he said, I'm at the office, I don't know what it is, there's been some kind of a bomb, the building is burning down and there's no way out. So I just want you to know I got your message and I love you so much. And you're probably asking yourself how this could happen twice in your life with men you love. She goes, he said, I don't know what to tell you except, honey, in the future, don't hesitate to love. Don't hesitate. I love you. Goodbye. And he hung up. And we're all in tears. And this man stands up and says, I'd love to hold your hand and say I'm sorry, but it's retribution. True story. And a war was about to break out. And this man says, listen, he told people earlier the day, He'd been trained in an Al-Qaeda camp. His dad got him out, sent him to Berkeley, which some people think is like an Al-Qaeda camp, actually. <laughs> and he says, true story, his only regret is he wasn't one of the actual people on that plane flying it into the building. So he rose up, and an Israeli man got up who had friends who died that day because he worked in the World Trade Center. He didn't know who lived or died, but he knew a bunch of them obviously died. And he lived, his family lived in the occupied territories of Israel, and they started to go at it. And I brought them on stage, and we uncovered their models of the world, and we shifted their models of the world so much in about two hours that at the end, they were not only embracing, but they organized all the Jews and all the Muslims in the room to have their private session. And that young man, who wanted everybody else to die, has since written a book called My Jihad, which is really my way of peace. And he describes how he was supposed to become an attacker and instead his entire life's about peace. And he's been all over the world to synagogues and to Muslim places, Islamic places around the world lecturing about what's really real. So I tell you this because everybody goes to their home. Where is your home? Where do you go most often? The Tony Robbins Podcast is directed and hosted by Tony Robbins. Annie York is our editorial director and occasional host. Our executive producer is Carrie Song. Jamie Carvajal and Adriel De La Torre are our digital editors. Special thanks to Mary Buckheit and Diane Adcock for their creative review.